Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, and I'm here with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. So we're going to continue talking about the Real Asian Film Festival, the 23rd annual. That's continuing on until November the 15th. We spoke about the opening night film, which was a great success. Uh, we spoke about that one on our last episode. So now we're just going to continue on and talk about some of the highlights of the festival. Courtney's going to start us off. One highlight, one film that I liked was Miss Purple. And it's directed by Justin Chong, who is an actor that I guess a lot of people might know from Twilight and a bunch of other things. But he's also a really great director. He had a film, I believe it played Real Asian a few years ago, called Gook. <gasps> yes, that was a fabulous film. That was a fabulous Very film. good film about two brothers during the Los Angeles riots and their bond and trying to keep their business afloat as chaos is erupting around them and these his new film miss purple is about siblings but this time it focuses on a young woman by the name of casey who is struggling to take care of her dying father um she's pretty much shouldering the load on her own and she refuses to, to put him in a hospice and to make money she works as a doomy who's like a hostess at a karaoke bar so she's basically having to entertain rich, arrogant men right. on, on a nightly basis and then take care of her father during the day. And things just get a little too overwhelming. So she calls her strange brother, Carrie, to come and he agrees to look after the father. And it's really about these siblings trying to reunite, but also just overcome the, the burdens of the past. So he has, we see in brief flashbacks that... Their mother left when they were a young age, and she essentially just started a whole new life with a very rich man and kind of ignored their existence. And the father didn't quite take it so well, so he put a lot of pressure on Casey to be like the hopes and dreams of the family, while Carrie didn't really get along with the father, and he was kind of more on the the abusive side yeah just emotionally a little bit physically as well so uh, carrie took off at like age 15 so there's just a lot of backstory and you're seeing these two siblings whose lives are kind of spiraling because carrie he doesn't really have a job he kind of hangs out at an internet bar and it, you know they're just trying to figure out a way to get out of this rut and it's a very nice drama that really encompasses you know the burdens that siblings carry and unlike gook which is far more tense um in the ways so this one's more quiet but yet still mm -hmm. still as of effective and it's just yeah filled with great performances and again justin chong he's a really talented director that i i hope more people see his films and kind of realize like what a special director he he really is yeah absolutely i totally agree with you there yeah what an impactful story you know these two siblings like what they had to go through but also there's always that tension you know when one goes away and one stays and has to deal with you know, mopping up constantly after that parent, you know, the parent that they both resent. And then there's this sort of notion that one escaped that and you're kind of bringing him back into that scenario. So Yeah, and Justin Chung also, similar to Gook, this one is also set primarily in like Koreatown, Los Angeles. And he, he just brings a very interesting perspective to, to L.A. that I don't think we often see in films like he, he has a great metaphor for for palm trees relates it to the siblings and basically the family in general is now palm trees were you know they're not native to america they were kind of imported in and they had to grow their roots there and kind of survive this different climate and things and when you think about that in relation to the, the siblings and their family it's just a really interesting metaphor that that works and 
it's a film that doesn't offer too many clear-cut answers, but you're still enthralled by everything that's going on, and the bond by the siblings is, it, it feels authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, good for him. So that was Ms. Purple. And uh, the next film is called What We Left Unfinished. It's a documentary, and it's going to show on Wednesday, November the 13th. Uh, this is really an unusual, incredible kind of a story. Uh, like I said, it's a documentary, but it's a weave of history and fiction. And, you know, I'll, I'll explain that. It's a co-production between Afghanistan, Qatar, and the U.S. And it focus on, focuses on some footage that was left behind, found footage, that was left over from these propaganda features that filmmakers were making for the Afghan Film Institute when the communist era was happening in Afghanistan. So from 1978 to 1991, there's sort of like different back and forth, but basically, you know, a realm, an era of communism. And this institute, it was a weird relationship because it's a state-run institute, but the Afghani governments, the the different communist governments of the time wanted filmmakers so badly to make propaganda that they gave them anything they wanted. Now, anything they wanted didn't necessarily include the most modern technology. For example, they didn't have blanks. So when they were shooting scenes, uh, recreating war scenes or creating scenes, you know, of terrible rebels attacking now, they were using real bullets. And so the, the trick was, there were tricks that had to be developed in how not to kill people while you were filming films. So Mariam Ghani, she's found these pieces from these lost films and they were never, these particular ones were never finished. And she's talking to the filmmakers and the filmmakers looking back on this. And it's this really interesting push-pull because in some cases I'm finding, at least in my opinion, in some cases it's like, the filmmaker is relating, you know, their genuine happiness with being able to make films and have the state be so, so supportive. And in other cases, it was I almost felt like there were some filmmakers who were explaining themselves like, you know, oh, yeah, I know it's bad. But, you know, look at look what they got gave me. And, you know, how can a filmmaker resist? And so there's this this kind of a weird world that I found myself that I found my headspace in. I don't know about you, Courtney. What do you think? No, I, I agree with that. There was because there's at one point where one of the directors was talking about how the if you were like making fiction films opposed to um, I guess films about the government, you had a lot more leeway, and you know you could kind of do what you want. But then the next person they interviewed was like, regardless of what you were filming, the government had wanted to control everything, and you know it's the that push and pull is correct because depending on who you, who you are, your perspective is slightly different in regards to your experience, what the ultimate goal was of the the production. Um, it's it's fascinating because even some of the films, like when you see the clips, there's I think five specific films that yeah, she yeah, she pulls from, and a few of them actually aren't that bad. I mean, given the the budget constraints and stuff, but then. You also think of, well, a lot of these films didn't have beginnings and didn't have endings. And some of the scenes we're seeing are kind of interesting, haunting, and then others are just downright, wow, they just let anyone behind the camera make a movie. Yeah, and they also let anyone in front of the camera. <laughs> there were some scenes that were like, they were most, I'm thinking of a, of a love story. I don't know if it was only one film. It's like 
I got lost a little bit with in between all the films. I sort of had a sense uh, after a while, but there was just like one love story because love stories would appear in more than one film, right? And there's one love story where it was like, wow, this acting is so cheesy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's, it's kind of you're having fun with that but then something to you know they switch to another film they weave in and it's not like it's a sudden um awful switch it's like they weave in something else and then you get a different perspective through a different film and you're talking about something else completely right yeah and it's a it's a good artifact in terms of just seeing the climate and the history of, of afghanistan because you kind of see as war and conflict and presidential assassinations are happening the the types of films are also changing in terms of like the story and the perspectives but one of the things i found fascinating about this film is you know you brought up the the love story at one point the female actors and when they're being interviewed they their perspective is fascinating because you know they they like the craft they they saw it as a bit of freedom but just by being a woman on screen they were automatically judged and disrespected and you know it wasn't oh, even yeah. like they were doing anything scandalous it was but just the fact that you even if they're they're fully clothed holding flowers they were you know seen as being prostitutes because their you know their role is is not to be in in film is to be at home and so it was just a really interesting dichotomy in terms of how yeah they handled these things because you need them for your stories but then by having them in your stories, it's a it's a bad thing. But it's it's probably like harder on the actor actress herself, right? This is you know an insight into the culture, right? Because uh, I think even probably today, you know, like some more fundamental kind of people would not want the woman outside of their home. So it's an insight into the, into the culture, and it's an insight I think probably into various cultures. But in this case, we're talking Afghanistan. So yeah, so this difficulty she has, she wants to you know, follow her dream, but she had to put up with being treated like a whore. And even in, in Kiarostami, like in other cultures around from that area, in other films that have much, much later, like closer to our time, people were still, women were in movies were still treated like, like that, you know, oh, and yeah. in the last, um, it wasn't Kiarostami. Oh, I can't remember the director's name. There was a, the sort of a, a documentary with him and an actress driving through. You saw this film. Oh, um, uh, Jafar Pan, Pan, Panini? Panani? Panahi, yeah. Panahi, yes. Yeah, he... Three Faces, that was the film. Yeah, Three Faces in there. You know, she's talking about it, and there's conversations about, you know, her loose morals and the other woman who was in movies, you know, the older woman that they eventually see. It, you know, it, it, this is like a really really interesting insight into a culture as well and i think there's other elements in there maybe not quite as bold as this statement of, you know about women and this this one woman that they highlight in this film um but yeah it's it's like a bolder statement about the entire society yeah and and i mean i understand that the government is providing the the money so you're going to get a lot of propaganda stuff but just seeing how dangerous it was and like you know some people lost their lives filming filming a scene because they were doing their own stunts with real bullets because the real government bullets. couldn't afford fake bullets and well the government had no blanks right yeah. it's yeah. like we can't give you blanks but we could give you like real guns with bullets and here we'll give you some soldiers or you know this guy used to be a soldier so put him in the movie he knows how to shoot yeah it's 
a very dangerous situation to be in. Like, you think you're filming a scene with real soldiers who are at any point willing to pull the gun on you if they think things aren't going according to plan like that. Just think of how stressful that is to to film. And as we see in some of the scenes where the directors went to, I think it was after one of the presidents got assassinated, trying to film in there and then people getting being surrounded by military and just through the, you know, sheer luck got out alive. It, it just a really interesting and tense look at people who are trying to make art in a horrific circumstance. Yeah, and all the different facets, you know, it just goes from incredible bravery and, and you know, really the desire to make art, that really genuine desire to make art. And, you know, you'll, you'll pay the price to, you know, really looking at certain things as benefits. It goes, you know, from that to like really sort of almost absurd except for the fact that they're so serious, these things that, you know, these elements that we're talking, we were just talking about. So, yeah, it's a fascinating film, and that's um, what we left unfinished. So, Closing Night Gala is Yellow Rose. So, the Closing Night Gala is happening on Friday, November the 15th, and it's Yellow Rose is the story of Rose, an undocumented Filipina teenager, and she's living with her mom in um, a small town in Texas. Actually, mom cleans a hotel, motel, and they both live there. And what happens is that Rose is an artist in the making. You know, she loves music. She's she's tied. She has cl- had close ties with her dad. The two of them both loved tree music. And but unfortunately, her father died, and it's just the two of them now. But Rose is is like you know taking on the same kind of dreams of that come with country music and music and stardom that her dad had. And unfortunately they're, they're undocumented and the mother is targeted and arrested in an immigration raid. And so Rose is ostensibly left alone. I mean, she's sent to her mother, tells her to go to a relative, but there's stuff that happens there. So she's having trouble on her own, but she's also having trouble in this, adult world which they all have their own problems you know on top of her having her own problems and she's sort of like trying to navigate all this and in the middle of it you know she's got this like deep tie to music and music making and writing songs and listening and she really knows her stuff um and the the thing about the film is that this, you know, it's it's not, let me see how to put this. It, it's like not an unusual story of a teenager who has dreams of stardom, but it's, it's sort of presented in this kind of, kind of um, musical kind of way where anything can happen and offset by these really awful things in reality, like immigration raids, right? So it's like this, this kind of push-pull and in a way you you know there's going to be a happy ending somehow you just don't know how we're going to get there um so all the credit goes to the performers really i think um rose is played by a tony nominated broadway performer eva noblezada and there are other uh, singers in and actors in the film that are famous as well, including uh, someone who's going to be here for the for the screening of the film, veterans Philippine actor Princess Punzalan. She will be here. Um, also in the film is a, a an acclaimed country musician, Dale Watson. And so this is a debut feature from a veteran documentary filmmaker, Diane Aragas. 
And she's sort of like pulling all these things together. And it's, it's, it's kind of really interesting. And would, she's taking something that would, I think, normally be like, oh, this is, you know, this is a story of a kid with dreams and how, you know, how there are things in her way to get there. But eventually we know what's going to happen. She takes that and makes it a lot more interesting by throwing in all these other elements. It's an interesting coming of age tale. I don't, I don't know if I agree with necessarily the the happy ending aspect. Like I, I feel the ending is defiant and and rightfully so. But I don't know if it's necessarily happy. She has that that great line where she says, "I ain't going, I ain't going down," but you still feel like there's still a long battle ahead. You know, like she's going to keep on fighting, but I still don't know if it, if it's going to be happy for her, especially based on the way how things are going. Yeah, I know. Um, I sort of, I guess, oversimplified it by saying happy ending. Like, it's just that there's this sense through the film that there's like a magical part of it, a logistics that goes goes beyond reality. There's there are real issues going on here. And, and that's why I say it kind of saves the film from being one of those those kind of happy ending, follow your dreams kind of movies uh, where anything goes. Yeah, so those realities are still there. And I think, yeah, I oversimplified by saying it's like totally happy. Yes, there's this defiance, and I totally agree with that. I see your point, though, because you, you have to think like the, the music is used as like an, uh, uh, an uplifting tool for a lot of things like that's the one thing that brings joy and also allows her to express her pain so i could see in that regards and it, and it does help seeing her perform and listening to the the great music it does help to alleviate a lot of the the bad things that are that are happening mm -hmm. and the bad things are really bad like this is this is what i have to give the film credit for you know taking into account what's going on now in the U.S. with ICE and immigration raids and how unfair the whole system is. I mean, that that's something you can't take away from that. It's just uh, putting it in this kind of musical film set, setting sort of makes it bearable to watch. You know, it makes it like a good closing night film in the sense that, you know, you get you get some meaty bits in there in there as well, but you're not sitting there wanting to like dissolve into tears. You know, it's a good film for a closing night because it it's an uplifting it's uplifting in many ways, right? Yeah. Even with her her the way she proclaims but what she proclaims at the end. Yeah, and it gives you it definitely gives you a lot to think about. And one of the things I, I liked I kinda of wish was explored a little more was the relationship between Rose and her aunt because it does a good job of establishing that her mother and her aunt were once close and then grew apart uh, and haven't spoken for years but part of the reason they grew apart has to do with the aunt's husband yeah who, who as with many things like you don't really see too much but you kind of hear and when you hear it's always he seems to come come off very selfish and very controlling. I think he's, in a way, he's a, he's a bit of a, uh, a stereotype. Mm -hmm. Selfish, controlling, but he's like that kind of stereotype of that kind of guy, you know? Yeah, but it's an, it adds an interesting layer to Rose's relationship with her aunt and the kind of weird gray area where the aunt wants to be there to help and then at the same time doesn't want to upset the card at home. And I, I kind of wish there was a few more scenes with that, but I mean, I guess the film is about rose's journey and going from a 
teen who for what, 16 years of her life, you know, living comfortably in the United States only to find out that everything that you know was now being pulled out from under you and you potentially are going to be sent to a country that you have no real ties to outside of, yeah, you have some family, but you don't really know. It's not your home. So uh, seeing her on her journey and making some of the wrong decisions that a 17-year-old would make in that circumstance it was was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree about the end. I wish there was more there. And I was really disappointed that really we were just left with, you know, this woman and this stereotypical kind of man reacting in this stereotypical way. And that's the end of it, you know? Mm-hmm. That was a little frustrating for me. But then, you know, in this musical world, I got pulled into something else, right? So Yeah, and you and you definitely see some very, you know, kind hearted people who try their best to help Rose as much as they can given the the circumstances absolutely yeah i think i think um it, it comes off as a really like it's definitely a fascinating journey and you'll be pulled in right away i don't even like country music which normally puts me outside of something that's a country music you know um but i was like i was just completely enthralled the entire time like and i think that like i said part of that is the performances and part of that is like this just magical quality the film has and you know so i think it's a great film great film in the festival yeah definitely worth worth seeing okay so real asian 23 the 23rd edition it's going as strong as ever if not stronger these are like really great films and they're only part of what real asian film festival is offering out there uh they even have a vr exhibit and i think you need to hurry up and check into that because you know and really it's happening at different locations so i really think you should go to their website and check everything out and don't at least go to something because you know it's there's a lot of great stuff in there in this festival and that's why it's been going strong for 23 years yeah it's a great festival okay so that's it for frame line thanks for listening